0: what is up welcome to another edition of the fantasy life podcast i am marcus grant joined by dwayne mcfarland and dwayne the combine is in the rearview mirror the draft is right ahead of us but it feels like it feels like nothing has slowed down like we're we're not we don't have to we don't have a chance to catch our breath here um there's a lot going on dwayne man how how are you feeling post combine pre-draft now
1: well, I mean, we were just talking pre-show, like we could break this into two episodes, right? There's just so much to cover. So, I mean, I think you're, you're summarizing it well. There's no slowdown. Um, we've got the franchise tag stuff happening. Um, we've got free agency right out around the corner. You mentioned the draft. We've got all of these storylines story coming out of the combine, plus the athletic testing itself. And we had some pretty historic stuff going on there. So, yeah, I mean, it's an action-packed day.
0: Absolutely. We're going to dive into some of the takeaways from the combine, what happened over the weekend in Indianapolis, plus Matthew Berry, who had his ear to the ground and found a lot of interesting stuff. And so we'll dive into some of the things he took away. But let's start with a little bit of free agency stuff that's already sort of milling around the big news from earlier in the week. Derek Carr has chosen a new home for 2023 he moves to New Orleans signs with the Saints four years 150 million dollars and I don't think there's much argument Dwayne that this makes Derek Carr the best quarterback in the NFC South division now that Tom Brady is officially retired but let's look at this what this means for the Saints just from a straight-up football perspective you're getting a veteran quarterback on a team that's already one of the older rosters in the league and is still well over the salary cap. How do you sort of view this move in terms of what it means for the Saints?
1: Yeah, I think it means Chris Olave has wide receiver one upside. Um, I think potentially top six. Like So that's like saying a lot. And I think it all starts with Chris Alave's talent profile. You know, if you look at it, his targets per route run 26%. That actually matches up to top six wide receivers going back to 2011. His yards per route run at 2.43 also matches that. Our biggest question, though, Marcus, was what's going to happen at quarterback? And it's not saying that Derek Carr is like, you know, this, uh, you know, this guy that they're going to bring in is really going to just raise the bar for everyone. But we have seen Carr be very productive as far, as far as supporting at least a high end, you know, option, at least one or two mid tier options in six out of eight years. So not that he's going to be great, but we know that that quarterback room is now stabilized and we don't have to worry about, okay, who is it going to be? So knowing that we've got the talent profile, Alave had such a great rookie season. We know we at least have Derek Carr. And then when you look at the target competition, Marcus, like it looks to me like Michael Thomas probably won't be back. We're not going to know that for sure, but that contract Uh, you know, that he, they redid his contract back in January and it's really good. It's gives them outs, right? They can get out of that. And then Rashid Shahid, um, who had a nice year, but that was a rookie out of Weber state, you know, 18% targets per route run did some nice things, but he's not a true, threat right to really compete with a so it's like all the ingredients are there you had a guy that played really well his data matches up with the high-end performers we know that he now has a stable quarterback and there's not a lot of other people on the team that can demand targets especially if alvin kamara gets suspended for any amount of time so he's going right now wide receiver 15 on underdog and i think you can make an argument that he should be going as high as wide receiver 10. I do think so much of this is dependent on, as you
0: mentioned, some of the other pieces around him for, for Chris Olave specifically with Michael Thomas, who actually tweeted, uh, I think he tweeted, thank you, Jesus, after Derek Carr signed. He seems excited about the new quarterback. We'll see if he's there to take advantage of that. You mentioned Alvin Kamara and his legal troubles that could keep him off the field this season. So there's a lot, I think, that are, that's still sort of up in the air about what this Saints offense is. I think for Carr himself, It's one of the best situations he's been in, in the sense that he now actually has a defense that can sort of keep him in games, which is something he didn't have during those years in Oakland and Las Vegas. Again, they're in a situation where the NFC South is wide open. So the saints have just as much chance to win that division and make it to the playoffs as anybody. But I I don't know that this is a team as currently constructed that is set up to make a deep run uh, when it comes to the postseason. But I'm with you. Everybody's going to love Chris Olave, I think, uh, in terms of fantasy there. For Derek Carr, does he rise to anything more than what he has been, which is sort of
1: a high-end QB2? Yeah, I think that's where he stays. You know, we'll see what the Saints do, you know, what they add around, you know, Carr. But, I mean, that's just historically been the range that he's been in, right? Even Even in times when we thought that maybe he could take that next step forward. Now, to be fair to him, last year... We had Waller injured most of the season. Renfro was injured for a good portion of the season. So it's not like he really had the three weapons we thought he was going to have going into the season. But historically, we have seen him get to play with a Crabtree and an Amari Cooper. And again, he was able to support nice finishes from those guys, but he was never someone that could really jump into that top 10 conversation. So I think at this point, you know, we just consider him that high end QB two. You get anything else out of him. I think that's just a plus. I think that's definitely going to be a plus if
0: you give him if he gives you anything more than that this upcoming season. Meanwhile in Seattle, the Seahawks have locked up Geno Smith three years, $105 million. Geno coming off a career season for him. And I guess the biggest thing for this is that we can feel a little bit easier about DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Are we going to be higher on Tyler Lockett this year than we were
1: this time last year? (laughs) Well, I feel like every year, you know, it's like a, it's like an annual tradition that we must underrate Tyler Lockett, like in the fantasy (laughs) community. So I don't know, maybe this is the year that finally we don't Now He is getting a little bit older. But I think kind of where you're going with it is, I think we're on the same page. I think this is just we can feel good about Metcalf and Lockett now. Mm-hmm. Before there was still a chance, like what if they have Drew Lock, you know, as their quarterback, or they draft a rookie that's you know really raw or something like that. And there's just there will be a lot of variables. We at least know based on what we saw with Geno Smith. Last year, he can support those two wide receivers and they can still run the ball and do some other things as well. So I think this is just really, it's it's a nice, nice to know that we'll have him back and you can draft Metcalf and Lockett where they're going now in drafts. Fun fact, Tyler Lockett has eight or more receiving touchdowns in five straight
0: seasons, which is currently the longest active streak in the NFL. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, As much as people are down on him, he continues to be consistently productive year over year. In Baltimore, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens still have not come to an agreement on a long-term deal, but the Ravens did use the non-exclusive franchise tag for the quarterback. That means other teams can negotiate. Two firsts is going to be the price. Two first-round draft picks is the price if you are able to you know, come to some agreement with Lamar and, and bring him in. I mean, at this point, Dwayne, it's sort of a wait and see on this one, but at least for the moment, it looks like Lamar Jackson is staying in Baltimore. Uh, your, your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no huge fantasy takeaways yet here, but just like from an NFL perspective, um, it's going to be very interesting. I think it's a best case scenario really for the Ravens because they can really allow the league to set the price for Lamar Jackson. And if they don't like it, then they can get the two first round draft picks. But if it comes in low and he doesn't have the market that he expects to have, well, they can use that as leverage. So I think they're really protected either way. They've obviously got something that's making them not want to invest, you know, the contract that he's originally asked for. So I think this is really, you know, they're going to get what they want out of this one way or another. They've come out and said all the right things publicly. Even today, um, Eric DaCosta came out and said, look, lots of quarterbacks have had this type of tag applied to them, and we've still negotiated a long-term deal. So he's trying to say all the right things, at least with the fans. But I think ultimately, this is a great move for them. And they can choose to say yes or no, and they won't get all of the blowback from the fan base. at least if they pull off the two first rounders, They have something in their hand that they can go back and say, "Look, we really tried. But, you know, the bidding just got out of hand, and we had to take the two first round picks. We'll be interesting to see who comes in to bid and what the numbers are
0: going to be. The Falcons have already said that they have no plans to pursue Lamar Jackson. So we know at least one team that has already backed away from the table for Lamar services. Meanwhile, in New York, the giants and Daniel Jones will continue to partner together. Jones signed a four year extension for $160 million. The initial reports are suggesting it's around a $40 million a year deal. Of course, we take that with a grain of salt. When we get more details, we'll kind of have a better idea of what that is. Jones gets the extension. Saquon Barkley gets the franchise tag to go along with it. So at least from a football standpoint, Dwayne, it seems like things are progressing as they have been in New York. Brian Dable gets his backfield back for, you know, at least another year.
1: Yeah. And this is clearly players and agents understanding what's about to happen. They're projecting what's going to happen with the salary cap over the next couple of years, just because the TV deal and all the other revenue they're going to have coming in. And, you know, they want to take advantage of it. And so this deal actually looks bigger than what it probably will look in two years from now. um, Because I think the cap's going to move up quite a bit. We'll see where it ends up. Um, It's still a lot to give Daniel Jones. Talk about having the best timing ever to, to just have a decent year. Like (laughs) Daniel Jones didn't have a, a great year. He had a good year relative to his historical past, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't even have a good year based against the league against the league. He was average. He was an average quarterback, but you have to give him a little bit of a pass. It was his best year. Can anyone name any of the giants receivers? If you just walked up to him on a street corner, like no one (laughs) knows any of these guys. So you also have to give him the benefit of the doubt there from a fantasy perspective. He's always had that upside as a rusher. We saw that truly unlocked this last year. So he can have value in fantasy. I still kind of look at this and wonder if the Giants won't look back and be like, man, we really liked overachieving that year. Our fans loved it. It was a great first year for for Brian Dable. But wow, look what it did. It made us lock up Daniel Jones for four years at this contract. And they could be very well. They could be ready to move on from him by next year. To your point, we don't know all the details, though. Maybe they haven't out after year one, year two. We'll have to wait and see. Definitely going to be one where people are sort of
0: waiting for more information to kind of comb through it. Also, you're telling me Isaiah Hodgins isn't exactly a household name <laughs> for around, around the country. Shocked. Absolutely shocked to hear that. Let's turn our attention, of course, to what happened in Indianapolis over the past weekend. The scouting combine has come and gone for another year. And obviously a ton to talk about. We're going to talk about the guys who are going to be fantasy relevant And a lot of guys who did themselves some favors, maybe nobody doing himself a bigger favor this past weekend than Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from the University of Florida. Maybe a month ago, Dwayne, we were sort of talking about, say, the big three guys when you're talking about Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson was sort of the fourth guy a little ways off now after what happened over the weekend there is some buzz that anthony richardson could be the number one quarterback and the number one player off the board when roger goodell calls that name coming up in late april what exactly did richardson do that blew everybody away this past weekend
1: yeah i mean he just came out and tested out of the, like jumped out of the gym ran out of just out of the gym like you know ran like a cheetah i don't know all the different things that you want to <laughs> you know come up with But I mean, it's six foot four, 244 pounds, 4.43, 40 yard dash. That's the, that's number four for quarterbacks since 2003. He had a 40 and a half vertical. That's number one since 2003, his 10 foot nine inch broad jump was number one since 2003. So those last two are really kind of your explosive, you know, your explosiveness that people are looking for. And then, you know, you look at just the fact that, you know, he came out and he was able to, you know, drop some dimes on deep throws, things like that. And it was just a great weekend for him. Like talk about somebody really cementing, you know, the fact that they'll at least be in the first round. This is a guy we were talking about potentially being a high end second round pick like a month ago. And he's already and then he climbed into, OK, he's probably going to be in the top 15. And now we're talking about a guy that could be the number one pick overall. This is a unique set of circumstances, you know, with just the guys that are available. But Lance Zerline, you know, his comp for him is Cam Newton. So if you think you have a chance to have a guy like Cam Newton, you know, a guy that could be similar to Josh Allen, that's another name that you're hearing thrown around with Anthony Richardson, you know, teams are just looking at the upside, man.
0: And that was the thing we talked about a week or two ago, that the ceiling potentially is high. And that is what has a lot of teams really interested in what Richardson can be. And I think what you took away, at least what I took away from the weekend for him is he turned out to be, I think, even more of an athletic freak than people thought. People thought he was going to test well, I think he even exceeded a lot of people's expectations. When you watched him throw, yeah, he missed some throws, but I think that was to be expected. But I also think he made more throws and he looked more impressive throwing the football than a lot of people anticipated. And you mentioned Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, those are the names that keep coming up in the sense of guys who came into the league maybe a little bit raw as passers and who, within a relatively short amount of time, were able to hone that skill and get themselves better. And I think the belief is. If you have a guy who has the athletic makeup of Richardson, who has at least a clue of what he's doing, throwing the football, you can sort of work with the rest and get the rest up to speed for Richardson there. With him potentially being the number one guy, Bryce Young now suddenly is, there's a lot of conversation around him. Not long ago, he seemed like the consensus number one pick off the board. Then the whispers about his height start to come in, start to get a little bit louder. Measures at 5'10", 204 pounds. And, Dwayne, you made a list of guys who were sort of similar, guys who have had good careers, in one case a Hall of Fame player uh, who comes in at a similar size. So are are the complaints, the concerns, I guess is a better word, are the concerns about Bryce Young's size overblown right now?
1: Well, there was an expectation that he could come in and weigh more like 190. 185. Now, how much of this is like water weight, things like that? We don't know. He was obviously preparing for weigh-in. You know, I mean, he wasn't doing anything else besides throwing, wasn't doing any of the other drills. Like, this guy just wanted to come in. And that's all he needed to do. He has the best tape right as far as being a pure passer in this class and he can do all the things you want he can create outside of structure he can he's mobile inside the pocket like he can move the pocket all those things he can run better than what people think even though he didn't have to so he had a lot of pluses going for him i think he was wise just to focus on getting his weight up now the question is can he play at this weight because if he's playing more at like 185 190 i mean it is going to be a problem when you have 300 pound you know guys falling on you so I think that's gonna, you know, that'll be the determining factor for a lot of teams. I do think you'll have some teams that'll just be like, no, we're not interested because he is below a lot of thresholds if you, proje- if you project what his playing weight is. But I think the 204 is good enough that someone's gonna be okay with it, Marcus. Like, I think now you know he's gonna go inside the top five. He's been locked into the number one pick for a while, but I think he at least goes in the top five. If he came in and weighed at like 180, 185, there was a chance that he could just really free fall, you know, down the draft board. So it was a good weekend for him. And you mentioned the guys, you know, so you got Kyler Murray, 5'10", 207, Russell Wilson, 5'11", 204, Drew Brees, six foot, 213. And again, there are a lot of smaller quarterbacks that didn't make it, but that's just to give you an example. Those guys are all in the range, at least of what Bryce Young weighed in at.
0: And the weight you mentioned being kind of the key thing because everybody loves the tape everybody loves the production that he had at Alabama the question was just the size so hopefully that quiets some of that down i mean we've got a lot of time between now and the draft and i think you mentioned this we tend to overthink ourselves we'll have a million conversations about all these guys and yeah, hopefully the hive mind doesn't do too much to damage what his potential draft stock can be, because this is a really talented player who played on a really good football team while he was in college. Played with a guy named Jameer Gibbs, who another guy who really did himself some favors with what he did in Indianapolis. I don't think there's any doubt that Bijan Robinson is the number one running back in this class. But Dwayne, where are you looking at Jameer Gibbs now after what he was able to do this past weekend?
1: Yeah, I mean, he came out and ran a four three six forty. We already knew that Gibbs could be an explosive player. The data already told us that. But what this will do is it will help validate that for an NFL GM right as much as it may be overrated we talked about this last week if folks want to go back and check that out we actually broke down what you know different events for each position actually matter at the combine and so you can get all of those details in our previous show but when you look at Gibbs what this does is it cements him as someone that you know is probably going to go in the early second round potentially he sneaks into the end of the first round and we know draft capital matters a lot for running backs Because as replaceable as they are, teams are less likely to draft another one if they just invested highly. And so that is a big thing for Gibbs, especially in dynasty circles. But when we just look at him, it's his ability to catch passes, Marcus. I mean, the guy had a 14% target share at Alabama. (laughs) running backs don't get a 14% target share in college period guys get like seven or 8% is good to be at 14% and do that on a team that's had, you know, some of the receivers Alabama has had, it just says a lot about him and the comp Lance Zierlein gave him over on NFL.com Alvin Kamara. And that's a name that you've heard a lot. So this is a guy that can work in the passing game. He can work downfield. We don't mean he's running gassers all day, folks. We mean that, you know, he can run Texas route, angle routes, bullet routes. Um, He could be a mismatch two or three yards past the line of scrimmage against linebackers, against safeties, five, six yards down the field. You can create a lot of cool combinations between your tight end, your running back. There's just a lot of creative things that you can do. And you make them, you know, part of, you know, the first or second read progression versus... Covered, covered, covered. Guess I'll check it down. If I'm not a running quarterback, right? If I'm a running quarterback, then the check down doesn't happen. I just take off. So Gibbs insulates himself with some of his talent profile that he has. And now running that 40-yard dash, NFL GMs are just gonna fall absolutely in love with this kid.
0: Gonna be interesting to see where he ends up going. Again, Robinson is the number one running back, and there's talk that he could come off the board in the first round
1: wouldn't be very surprising to me if we hear Gibson some are saying now, like I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, getting, <laughs> the steam's getting there. And he's a, you know, he's a top five talent is what you'll hear. Most people say on mm-hmm. almost everyone's board, but then everyone also agrees. But once you deduct for the fact that you don't want to draft a running back in the size of the top 10, you know, it makes him a late first mid first. I'll be surprised at this point. It's, and again, we're, we've got, Still quite a few weeks. We're gonna go through some ebbs and flows here, but the latest information that we're hearing sounds like he's not gonna be at the end of the first round anymore like we originally thought. Maybe creeps into the mid, maybe the late mid first round for B. John Robinson. A Lot of teams there that could make sense for him. So you're saying that he may not be there
0: when Jerry Jones and the Cowboys—oh, yeah, I don't, I don't,
1: I don't think he is now. I mean, maybe, but Jerry won't be able to resist. I don't think if he is. Oh,
0: absolutely <laughs> not. First round, uh, Cowboys have the twenty-sixth pick. It, it may not be there. Uh, side note, too. I remember being in the newsroom at NFL Media when Johnny Manziel was available and the Cowboys were on the board, and it seemed for all of the world like that was the move Jerry was going to make. I will tell you, there, I, I can't imagine. I can't remember. More anticipation for a pick than whether or not the Cowboys were going to take Manziel. We know they didn't. We sort of know what happened there. But man, that was that was an electric ten minutes just yeah, to see. had to
1: basically, happen. you know, put his dad in a chokehold and say, "We're not That's taking true. Johnny Manziel. We're taking Zach Martin." That worked out pretty good
0: for the. Cowboys. It worked out great. No, it ended up being the right pick <laughs> to take Martin over Manziel. But man, it just—if there was
1: ever a pick made for Jerry Jones, it was Johnny Manziel that year. Absolutely. Hey, um, uh, Marcus, yeah. real quick, you know, on Anthony Richardson, one final point, I know we've moved on, but right now on underdog drafts, man, like he's going to pick 25. I mean, he's going off the board as the QB 25 hmm. and we now have a chance for him to be, it sounds like he's going to go in the top 10. And if we look historically at quarterbacks, even if he's terrible as a passer, if you can run, remember Tim Tebow at one point was a viable fantasy quarterback. Folks, mm-hmm. you guys were loving starting Taysom Hill. Like, he can't really be worse than those two his passers. If you have a chance to rush for 700, 800 yards as a quarterback, which Anthony Richardson is clearly going to have that opportunity if he is the starter for a team come week one, it's going to be really hard for him to not finish as a top 12 quarterback, period. Even if he can only throw for like 2,500 yards. 800 yards rushing, that's that's 80 points free. If he had six touchdowns on that, four or five touchdowns rushing on that, right, you're tacking on another 36. You're like 115 points before you even throw a pass. So, I mean, folks have got to remember that, you know, for fantasy purposes, NFL, there are big questions about Richardson as a passer. But if you're drafting right now over on underdog, like I, I think there's too much value in that. Like he should be going mid QB twos. Um, you could make an argument that he should be going as a high end QB one with us now thinking he's going to be a much higher draft pick. Sorry, not QB reason. one, high end QB two. Right. I think more recent vintage, I mean, you look at a, a guy like Trey Lance, who arguably yes.
0: was even more raw than Richardson, who hadn't played a ton of games and was playing at a much lower level of competition. We still loved him because we thought he could run for, as you mentioned, seven, 800 yards. Circumstances mean we haven't seen it, but there, there's a reason that we liked Trey Lance the way we did. Let's look at the wide receivers because. I feel like outside of maybe the guys at the top of this class, there isn't much buzz about the wide receiver group as a whole. And the guy who really reestablished himself this past weekend was Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio state. And it was, yeah, I say reestablished himself because he missed nearly all of last season dealing with a hamstring injury. Didn't play much. And Lance Zerline after the fact basically came out and said, you know what? This is on me. I had him rated too low. Um, you know, maybe out of sight, out of mind, whatever it was. He said, I rated him too low. I got to go back and reevaluate because he really did a lot of great things when it came to testing. And Dwayne, you, you and I talked about the three cone for wide receivers and how important it is. He was head and shoulders better than everybody else when it came to that three cone this past weekend. And is there, how much doubt is there about him possibly being the number one receiver drafted this year?
1: Yeah, it wasn't looking like that based on all the mocks, but and we haven't had a chance to talk a ton about, you know, rookies yet. You know, we're working on all that. We'll have a lot more coming for you folks. So stay tuned. But he's been my number one wide receiver the whole way. And the easiest part about it, we'll talk about the combine, but the guy played with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and was the best receiver on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys were first round picks, and they both played great. we we've already talked about Chris Olave on this show as a potential wide receiver one next season. We've talked mm-hmm. about Garrett Wilson probably as much or more than any podcast you know on the planet, and he's a guy <laughs> that we love. And so we're talking about a guy that also both of those guys have come out and said JSN's the real deal. Like this guy is really good. Now we we take teammate talk, you know, with a, it's it's a grain of salt kind of thing, but the production speaks for itself. You can come out and earn more targets than either one of those guys. I just thought it was hilarious. You're right. The three cone, he was awesome. A 6.57 three cone, not something that matters overall for wide receivers. There's not a correlation, but if we look specifically at guys that play in the slot, which he did in college, doesn't mean folks that he can't play outside. Remember, everybody thought Justin Jefferson (laughs) was only going to be a slot receiver. It's Look, you got to be really careful when you play on a loaded team like what he played on and thinking, could he play outside or not? Like, when you play with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, the coaches are just like, well, what's the best way to divide this up? It doesn't mean that he can't play outside. So, yeah, I think it's funny, though, that it took this three cone to wake everybody up. Um, I don't think there's... I think there's no, there's no doubt in my mind. We'll see what the NFL says. Like He should be the number one wide receiver off the board. I think by the time everything settles in, he will be the number one wide receiver drafted. I think another factor is you know a lot of the other receivers, as far as what the NFL cares about, not so much what really matters. Again, you guys can listen to the show last week. Um, guys didn't live up to expectations at the combine. You had Quentin Johnson come out. We People thought he was 6'4", 6'5". He was 6'3", 208. That's still fine, but it came in below what people thought. And then you have Jordan Addison, you know, he comes in at 273 pounds. So people are going to have concerns about his size. There were a lot of things working to JSN's favor this weekend. One, people just waking up to the fact that, okay, wait, this guy's really good but then also that these other guys didn't perform as well. And you know what? I'll give I'll give the fantasy community credit. They've already been on JSN. You look over on Underdog and the Big Board Contest, he's wide receiver 30. That's the first rookie wide receiver off the board by a good bit. You already have to take him in round five, but I'm very, very, very willing to take Jackson Smith and Jigba in round five right now in, in drafts. But you got a hat tip to all of you fantasy drafters out there today. Very, very, very sharp. In fact, ahead of NFL circles and who the best rookie wide receiver is. Yeah, shout out to a lot of
0: those folks because I know there are a lot of people out there who have been doing work on some of these players all year long and kind of keeping tabs on them. And so uh, definitely a hat tip to those folks who seem to be a little bit ahead of the curve. I want to ask you real quick, though, about Johnston and, and Addison because is this a point where, okay, so these guys didn't maybe measure the way you thought or they didn't test the way you thought. Does this become a situation now for evaluators where – you go back to the tape and use that to sort of remind you why you like
1: these guys in the first place. Yeah, they need to. They can also go back to the production with both players, Um, you know, not elite production scores, but really good production scores. Both of these guys performed well young in their college careers. Both of them are coming out a year before their senior year. So they're early declares. There's a lot of really good things based on, you know, research that's been done in the dynasty community over the last decade and how much better we've gotten, you know, at, you know, evaluating these guys coming into the league. From a production standpoint, looks really good. From a film standpoint, I mean, Addison, like I haven't watched like every game he's played, but I've gotten to watch all these guys a little bit to get a feel for their style. Um, Like this is a guy that can get open. Like I'm not really worried about that. But I think some teams will be worried about press coverage because you'll worry about his strength, right? At 173 pounds. But folks were super worried about Devonta Smith. Is he having problems with coverage? I mean, with press coverage? No, why? Because his feet are amazing. You can't get your hands on him. It's really tough to jam him. And uh, that's something that folks that really watched the film, you know, on Devonta Smith ahead of time, had already said would not be a challenge for him. So yes, what you're saying is correct. You've got to go back and really look at those things again. But at the end of the day, like Addison's probably going to see his draft stock fall. Like I'll be surprised now if he's a first round pick, just because that 173 is pretty low. Um, You know, I mean, we'll see, we'll see where he lands, but feeling more like a second round pick. And that's not a kiss of death, right? For fantasy, you're fine. We have a lot of guys that are drafted in the second round. You know, people thought AJ Brown wasn't a complete player. And he got, he went in the second round just to, you know, a few years ago and look at him now. So I think looking at their total profiles, they're both fine, but this could impact their draft capital. So you bringing up
0: Devonta Smith, that was the name that sort of popped into my head when yeah. it came to Addison and not, I, I'm not telling you that Jordan Addison is going to turn into Devonta Smith, but in terms of a guy that people were concerned about his size and how small he is. And and I will say this as somebody who watched a lot of USC football this past year. Addison is not, he's not a size speed freak necessarily, but he is a technician. He runs routes very well. He's got good, consistent hands that I think is going to go a long way toward helping. And I think that is closer to the comparison of Smith that, that you saw a guy who knew how to get open, who knew how to make tough catches. We've seen that for him, his first couple of years in the NFL. And so I think to a lesser extent,
1: Addison can sort of be that guy, but you're right. I mean, he's no smaller he went, than people want. He went bonkers as a sophomore. I mean, he went absolutely bananas as a sophomore. So look, he's been playing at this size, you know, not to use a Bryce Young quote, but you know, I've been playing at this size my whole life. Jordan (laughs) Addison. Like he's he's been doing this, and guess what? Dominating. And and the guys played against top competition. We're not talking about a guy from an FCS school or something like Mm -hmm. that. You know, this guy's played against other, you know, high quality, you know, opponents. Yes, cornerbacks will be better in the NFL, but I think uh, you know, there's a lot to like, and you hit on a really good point. How does Jordan Addison win? And if you look at the way he wins, does that translate to what we just saw in his testing? Well, great. We don't need Jordan Addison to run like... He ran a 4.49. That's still fine. It's all about thresholds. He didn't (laughs) run a 4.7. But you don't need him to come out and jump out of the gym and show you that he's super explosive in his broad jump because that's not the way he wins on film, to your point. He is that guy that can get open more via quickness right, than speed, knows how to set his defenders up, all those sorts of things. And so to me, I, I just... I worry that NFL teams will overrate it. Hopefully fantasy managers don't. The only thing that could really hurt hurt him is if the NFL just really gets off of him, right? And he slides to the third or fourth round or something. But I think he'll still be a second round pick. I think he's going to land there as well. Uh, Again, it's
0: it's not a draft class that's creating a lot of buzz, but he's still considered to be at the top of that group. So I think you're going to see him earlier than later. A group that is causing a whole lot of buzz, though, is the tight ends. And we mentioned this last week. Daniel Jeremiah is saying this is the best tight end class that he's seen in a very long time. DJ, not the only person saying that. You're hearing that from a lot of different places. And, Dwayne, just based on what this group did in Indy, the testing scores seem to be matching up to the word of mouth when it comes to the tight ends.
1: Yeah. Talk about a freaky athletic group. And for tight end, we care a little bit more About that, Like I still want to look at production. You still want to look at their whole profile, but we have seen tight ends that didn't do a ton in college able to come out and and do something in the NFL. Now we also have a ton of examples of tight ends that tested great, you know, and then teams took a chance on them and they did nothing in their NFL career. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, you know, we care a ton about the combine but the NFL teams, well, and it was historical. So like based on data back to 1987, and you guys can go look at this over at relative athletics where RAS, um, you know, and this is via math bomb on Twitter. If you guys want to follow him, Clint, uh, mm-hmm. is it Clint Lee Platt? I can't remember. Sorry if I did that wrong, but check out math bomb on Twitter and he's been tracking this stuff forever. Oh my gosh. Like, so if you look at Luke Musgrave, the number six, relative athletic score out of 1020 tight ends going back to 1987. Darnell Washington, number 16, Sam Laporta out of Iowa, number 76, and Zach Koontz out of Old Dominion, number one. So to have this many guys get, I mean, you got three guys in the top 16 out of a thousand and guys that have been graded since 1987. That just tells you how athletic the class is. And I think it just really cements the fact that we're going to see teams use high picks on the tight ends. We're going to see probably one or two go in the first round, probably going to see a couple go in the second round, maybe more than that. Now, after the way these guys have tested, there's different flavors for different folks. Musgrave and Darnell Washington really did not do a lot as far as demanding targets, yards per route run, um, yards per team pass attempt, those sort of things don't grade out as well. But teams are going to look at them and they're going to be like, you know, it's hard to find tight ends. There's not that many that are really great in the NFL. And when you look at the teams that have really good ones, people are going to look at that and they're going to be like, man, what a mismatch if I had a Travis Kelsey. So they're going to start to project and then that's going to roll over into the way the teams treat it for the draft. I will say the guy I love Marcus is Sam Laporta. Um, he's a guy right now that in mock drafts going in round three, he's out of Iowa that, and we'll talk more about him later, but that's, he did enough in the athletic testing, but a guy that's also been very productive through college coming out of a program that just churns out the high end tight ends at Iowa. I was gonna say Iowa has kind of
0: created a reputation as tied into you, you know. Right now, a guy named George Kittle doing some decent things. George Kittle, Hawkinson, uh, Hawkinson. Noah fan. I know he hasn't yeah. necessarily
1: come through, but I mean a lot of guys that have been high picks.
0: Yeah, Uh, and have been very productive so far in the NFL. So this is going to be an interesting group to watch, and I'll be curious to see sort of where they land, what kind of buzz they have, and what that means when it comes to drafts, especially in, in dynasty rookie drafts. So that gets us through the combine. Free agency is just around the corner. And if you want more on free agency, you can go over to fantasylife.com. Check out all of our content, including positional tiers and the like. We'll talk more about that because it is uh, almost a week before free agency opens. And we'll have a whole lot of movement and a whole lot of stuff to talk about once that is all said and done. Not completely done with the Combine, though, because our own Matthew Barry was there. I don't know if you've heard. He's got a little side hustle over at NBC and wrote a piece at NBC Sports Edge. His 23 takeaways, just things that he picked up from talking to people, hearing conversations, that sort of thing. And just some of the nuggets that he was able to glean from his weekend in Indy. So we pulled a few of them that seemed maybe even more shimmering than uh, the rest of the the jewels he put out there the first one and we've talked about wide receivers Dwayne, but we keep landing on the name dj chark and jacoby myers according to matthew alan lazard is getting some love from some people including the chiefs and the ravens uh, interesting move because this is a guy who's been sort of as the kids would say mid so far in his career <laughs> But those are a couple of places where maybe he can level up slightly. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think it will also just be an interesting experiment because remember how people did with MVS last year because he was going to the chiefs. Remember how people did with Alan Lazard last year because they lost Devonte Adams and he had Aaron Rodgers. So in my opinion, you know, we've already seen Alan Lazard in this situation. And really, to be honest, last year was not his first opportunity. The Packers have needed a wide receiver too for multiple years when they, even when they still had Devonte Adams and they wanted someone to step up. Now he always got a pass because it's like, well, how are you going to earn any targets whenever Devonte Adams gets 30, 35%. Well, I mean, guys, there's still 65, 70% left. <laughs> like someone could get a 20 to 25 percenter and they were having to spread it around across a lot of other players. So I just found this really interesting because he's not a burner, not going to take the top off. He can be a nice possession receiver. I, I will say when you watch Alan Lazard play, He has a beautiful back shoulder, uh, you know, catch like he can catch. He's also nice on the fade. But those are things that a lot of quarterbacks don't use. Those are like some of the lowest used routes in the NFL. So you're going to need a passer that can make that kind of throw. That takes pinpoint accuracy. That takes pinpoint anticipation. So I could see if you landed with the Chiefs, you could probably get that from Mahomes, I don't think that's going to be a really good fit with Baltimore, but he does come from the Packers where he did a lot as a blocker. The Packers really like Alan Lazard and his work in the run game. That's probably a component of what's attracting, you know, the Ravens to his profile, but I would be hard pressed to get overly excited about Alan Lazard. I would just really want to watch and see like how much, can you imagine if he lands with the chiefs, is it going to be Gabriel Davis all over again or have people (laughs) learned their lesson? Like that would be my question.
0: I, I don't think this is going to be Gabe Davis all over again. My question is, if you're the Chiefs, did you go out and end up in a potential bidding war for Alan Lazard? Or do you just re-up with Juju for another year?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't want to get in any kind of bidding war for either one of those players. To yeah, be honest. True. Like, you know, I mean, I think you, know, you just got to pivot down. You know, you got to pivot down and see what you can do, you know, with some of the other cheaper options that are out there. Um, But I mean, if you can sign one of these guys, you don't have to get into a bidding war, like, you know, fine, you can go kick the tires. Just make sure you don't end up in a long-term deal. I mean, Alan Lazard's talent profile at this point of his career is probably what it is. He's a tertiary wide receiver. Could he come through with one nice fantasy season for us here or there? Yeah, if he caught a lot of touchdowns, that would be his path to hitting his upside case um but i think it's kind of funny and this is not to say we know more than nfl teams but i think there are certain ways that the fantasy community is like ahead of Mm -hmm. some of these you know with some of these things like typically wide receivers that haven't been able to demand targets you know five years into five six years into their career they don't suddenly just turn into something new but we'll still see nfl teams give them you know that next chance now now we have had examples right of guys that have moved on to other teams. And when they sign with their first, you know, their first time to leave their old, you know, environment, and they can break out after that. But typically those guys have also shown more than what Lazard has in their underlying talent profile.
0: So Lazard potentially out there. So one more name to add to that group, Matthew Stafford. We didn't see him at the end of last season because he had a spinal cord contusion that kept him off the field. There are concerns about his ability to throw a football right now and whether or not he is actually going to play in 2023. That's huge for the Rams, who are already sort of licking their wounds after a miserable season last year. Fantasy-wise, though, no Matthew Stafford. How worried would you be about Cooper Cup?
1: Yeah, we are still early, but this was huge news. Like, I, you know, maybe I just haven't been... Tracking the Matthew Stafford story as well as I should have, but I haven't had a lot come across my timeline or through my normal methods of just monitoring news, um, where you just got a headline until this saying that, wow, like retirement's not out of the question. Like when I saw that, I was like, (laughs) what? Like, so this is something to definitely pay attention to. Um, two things one, starting with what you just mentioned, like Cooper Cup, like this is a big deal. Um, Cooper Cup's a good wide receiver no matter what, but he and staff, he and Stafford, like, they're like yin and yang. I mean, not yin and yang. They're like hand in glove, right? Mm-hmm. They are, you know, they're a great combo. We saw Cooper Cup be good with Jared Goff. We saw him move to being great whenever, you know, we had him come together with Matthew Stafford. Now, the second point would really be what we really want to see is like, what can the Rams do at backup quarterback? Now they don't have a lot of money. Now they're talking about trading Jalen Ramsey. They're getting rid of Leonard Floyd. There's a lot of things they're doing to get their cap under control. We'll see where that lands. That you'd really like with this news, you'd really like to see them land someone as their backup quarterback that we at least feel like, OK, that wouldn't be as good as Stafford, maybe. But break glass in case of emergency, we could at least, you know, we could set a floor right on what Cooper Cup's value is. Maybe he's not a high end wide receiver one anymore. Maybe he's more of a mid range wide receiver one, low end wide receiver one. But I don't want to see Baker Mayfield. You know, that's for <laughs> sure. I want to see something besides that. The Rams are in a tough spot because we know
0: they don't have any first-round picks. Uh, they are over the salary cap. So th- if if they can't have Matthew Stafford, if he can't go and has to retire, or even if he just is going to miss an extended period of time, that puts a lot of pressure on Les Snead in that front office to try and figure out a solution. And for us, our selfish purposes makes us a little bit wary about what that means for Cooper Cup. I still believe he's a guy, you know this, he can command targets, he's going to get opportunity matter the value and the quality of those targets and that's what we're going to be waiting to see the Broncos they got a lot to fix they bring in Sean Payton as their head coach and Sean Payton has pretty much said from the jump that we're going to do things differently this year than we did last year Russell Wilson's not going to have his uh, special coaches with him he's not going to have his office in the building so this is sort of a a prove-it year potentially Dwayne to see if these two can coexist and get this thing turned around I I mean if you're the Broncos you really need this to work don't you you went out and you mortgaged a lot to bring in Russell Wilson and now you've brought in Sean Payton if you're the Denver front office this has to work
1: doesn't it yeah you're hoping for it but like the other tidbit and, and Matthew says in his article like look He's not reporting this stuff as news. Some of this is, you know, you're listening to the quotes, you're asking the questions, kind of got to read the tea leaves. But he also gets to bend the ear, right, of insiders that will share little things with him. And what I heard here was beyond what I saw on the podium clips, right, from Sean Payton. And that's potentially a source saying that he just doesn't like Russell Wilson. He doesn't like him. That was like eyebrow raising because like, what is it? He doesn't like, is it, is it just a personality thing or is it the fit now that he looks at him more with the way he's going to fit in the scheme? It is all the above. I don't know. Um, bottom line for Wilson, we're not going to draft him, you know, in the top 12 quarterbacks this year. He played so bad last year. He's going to be a late round pick. Won't be drafted a lot. So we won't have to really worry about it, but it does tie into Jerry Judy, a guy that we're going to care about. It does tie into Greg Dulcich, a guy that we're going to want to have some exposure to. So just a really interesting one to keep an eye on. I think this is one that we'll just have to keep the pulse on throughout the offseason. But that was a little bit scary to hear like he just potentially doesn't like Russ. (laughs) And wow, it's got to feel scary to the Denver front office as well, because if they want to move on from Russ after this year, um you know, I mean, that's two first round picks that you basically just gave away for Russ Wilson and you got nothing. You got nothing. If, if this doesn't work out for you this coming year,
0: Uh, talking about the guys around him, though, a couple other things that Matthew mentioned, Javante Williams, a wide range of outcomes that includes potentially playing in week one to missing an entire Mm -hmm. season and that the Broncos might be willing to move on from Cortland Sutton. If they get the right offer, you mentioned, we like Jerry Judy. I, I mean, if if let's, let's say worst case scenario, right? There's no Javante Williams and they move on from Cortland Sutton. Does that change the way you feel about Judy?
1: Well, I think, you know, and we'll talk about Judy more as the season, you know, as the off season goes along, but we've talked about him a little bit already, you know, and his profile, his underlying profile in year three looked really strong. It was good in year one and year two. Now he missed some time again but Judy is headed in the right direction. I think, I think there's still like right now I would look at him as having wide receiver two upside, but I think there's a chance that he still has wide receiver one upside. And I would say, yes, if you have someone like Sutton gone and you potentially, you know, aren't throwing your running backs quite as much that. Yeah. that You know, if he's good enough, you have to be able to earn the targets first, but then if you have that, you check that box and then all of a sudden your target competition goes down. Then yeah, there's a chance like this is the right recipe, you know, for Jerry Judy. Um, last year, he got to play out of the slot a lot. So he really kind of played the Tyler Lockett role in the offense. So that was also a positive for him. That's something that Russell Wilson has always relied on. So we'll have to keep an eye on how that looks. But yeah, I think that this could be really good for Jerry Judy. I think also just watching what are the Saints? I mean, what are the Saints? What do the Broncos do at running back? Um, it's going to tell us a lot about where we are with Javante. Again, another one where if you listen to the quotes at the podium, I feel like potentially Matthew got a little bit more offline here because the range of outcomes being he doesn't play. Like, we didn't hear that. At the podium, they said, oh, yeah, he's doing good. He's jogging. He's ahead of schedule. So to hear that the range of outcomes are he potentially doesn't play, and we have to remember, it was an ACL, MCL, an original report also was there was meniscus damage and damage to the hamstring. So this is a very significant injury, um, and it's probably too early for the team to really make a call on it. So they're probably intentionally just saying, yeah, it looks good, and they know they're going to monitor it. But it sounds like behind the scenes, there's definitely concern. So if they bring in someone like a Kareem Hunt, something like that, I think that's going to tell us. And that would be bad, right? Because then Javante, even if he's back to full strength by mid-year... Kareem Hunt has been a guy in the past that's been good as a receiver out of the backfield. We know that Sean Payton likes to scheme things up for his running backs. We also know Sean Payton has been willing to use a committee for running backs in the past. So there's a lot of things that could go wrong for Javonta Williams here between the injury and that forcing them to sign someone. There's a lot going on. Wouldn't be a surprise
0: if, if they do pursue and maybe sign Kareem Hunt to see Sean Payton kind of use him Alvin Kamara light or something uh, in that regard, which would put a big damper on what Williams production can be over to Cleveland the browns could be throwing the football a little bit more and maybe that's not a surprise we saw deshaun watson at the end of last year looked like a guy who hadn't played football in a while but at some point you got to believe he shakes off that rust and turns back into the guy we saw those years in houston so the browns throwing the football isn't maybe a huge news flash but what could be big dwayne rumblings that maybe De Ernest Johnson won't be the backup of note in Cleveland and that there might be a new name we
1: should pay attention to, huh? Yeah, absolutely. You know, touching on the Watson thing first, um, you know, I think there's still some people that will look at that and they'll be like, well, they were, they were getting beat, you know, and then Watson wasn't very good. And we've got a pretty long track record with Kevin Stefanski, you know, back to Minnesota being someone that's really been more of a, you know, let's run this Gary Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan. T- you know, style of offense. Um, they're going to use a lot of wide zone, going to use a full back, you know, going to get in two wide receiver sets. Um, so a lot of those types of things. So I do think there would be some debate around it, but to hear that they're going to really, you know, take the governor off, they're going to use more four and five wide receiver sets. Now they're going to have to have enough wide receivers to do that. That means going has got to be pretty active here. But if you read in depth, and I, you know, encourage you folks to go over and check out Matthew's articles, got all the other details. He, had to really, he did a really great job on it, but just talking about like, they're stylistically talking about things that would be very different from what Kevin Stefanski has done in the past. And that they are truly believing that, look, they've got to take the offense through Deshaun Watson. So I do think that that's really encouraging. Um, and Watson right now is going wide receiver 10 over in the big board drafts over on underdog. Um, he clearly has more upside than that. Like, will we be, if, if Deshaun Watson gets his football mojo back, And we don't know if that will happen, folks. I would bet on it does come back. That's you're betting on the longer sample versus just the tail end of last year. However, with everything Deshaun Watson has gone through, I mean, look, we thought Russ Wilson would eventually turn around last year. And the only pressure he had was the fact he got traded for and he had a huge contract. You know, setting, you know, just focusing on between the lines, but still Deshaun Watson has way more on his mind than that. Like there's a lot going on. There's got to be a lot of pressure on him. Um, beyond just the trade you know that they made now I know athletes are very good at compartmentalizing you know just taking things you know one step at a time you know they've been doing this their whole life so I do think Watson gets back to form but there is a chance he doesn't come through um, all of that said like QB 10 right now he could be a top four QB he could be a top three because he has elite passing upside and he's not quite a Josh Allen or someone like that on the ground but he can give you you know he's going to do not going to do Jalen Hurts stuff but he can come through with 450 yards on the ground and score three or four rushing touchdowns. And then you put that together, you know, with a big year passing and there's just a lot of upside for Deshaun Watson. They've got to add, you know, some weapons, but the other part, to your point, like Nick Chubb, we know that Kareem Hunt's probably going to be, you know, gone, you know, given the fact that his deal's up and it does sound like it won't be Dearness Johnson, you know, taking over to your point, but it will be their draft pick from last season. Um, Marcus, why am I blanking on it? Isaiah Jerome Ford. Ford, Jerome Ford, God, Jerome Ford. Yep. Ford. Yeah. I was like, as a Ford guy. Yeah. Jerome Ford. <laughs> um, you know, now he wasn't a high round pick. Um, and if they're going to pass the ball more, um, you know, who's going to be the passing down back? Like, is the other question, are they going to yeah. finally let Nick Chubb do that? You know, or is that going to be Ford? Because that could be a pretty valuable uh, position on the team. If it is something where they are going to throw the ball more
0: very curious to see what moves they make there have even been some some rumblings and i don't know how serious they are that maybe the browns could trade nick chubb although i don't i don't know how seriously people are, are looking at that that would seem to be a mistake when you've got arguably the best pure running back in the league i don't know that you would want to move on from him but uh, maybe they want to remake this team in sort of deshaun watson's image we'll see what happens there over in philadelphia the eagles Uh, Had a good year, obviously, went, went to the Super Bowl, but had a good year running the football as well with Jalen Hurts leading the way. Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, kind of a nice combination back there. Would be a surprise if Sanders is back in Philadelphia this year. And the thought process being, according to Matthew, that the Eagles are willing to load up a running back with touches. They just never thought Miles Sanders was that running back. So... Does that mean we see them go out and draft a guy or make a move in free agency? Do you think they fill and try to find
1: that guy that they would load up with touches? Well, I think it at least opens the possibility if we see them take someone by chance in the first round, you know, they've got two picks. We see them take someone in the second round. If it's that right kind of profile, you know, a bigger back that we think could handle more of the workload that also has some receiving chops like a, Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA would obviously be John Robinson, right? If he went in the first round, but if they get stylistically that right guy, like, man, there's a lot of upside here. Um, You know, for someone to be really great behind a good offensive line that should score a lot of points, Jalen Hurts will always be a threat. We would still have to deal with the potential threat of Gainwell, who they like on third downs. But to hear this, to hear that, look, it's really not a Nick Sirianni thing where he wants to have a rotation. If he had the right player, they would be willing to make them a quote unquote bell cow type back. In that offense, yeah, that definitely has to have our attention and it's something that if they go early in that if they go direct in that direction early in the draft, I think is something we'll have to definitely work through. So we'll keep an eye on that, what they want to do
0: there. We have been, I think, hoping for a guy who can take the workload like that. I always believed Miles Sanders was going to be that guy. I realized pretty quickly that the Eagles didn't feel that way about him, so I had to sort of change my perspective on him. But it would be interesting if they find a guy they think can be uh, that three-down guy or be that workhorse for them. In Dallas, the Cowboys, I mean, I think this is sort of funny. The Cowboys want to make a splash. And I feel like as long as Jerry Jones is associated with the organization, the Cowboys will always want to make a splash. That's <laughs> That is just sort of the way Jones operates. But when Matthew says that, he means something along the lines of trying to make a move for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. And we know, Dwayne, from last year, they really wanted to find somebody who could be that complement to C.D. Lamb. After they let Amari Cooper go, they haven't been able to fill that spot. Uh, Nuke, even at a bit of an elevated age, could he be that guy to to make that solid one-two punch with C.D.? And is this a move the Cowboys should make?
1: Yeah. I mean, it depends on what it's going to cost. Um, but I mean, Hopkins obviously would be, he would be a great fit, you know, with Dak, you know, Hopkins can fit with anyone. He can play with anyone. It would be a good, you know, it would be a good get, you know, for the Cowboys, you know, you just got to worry. Does he drop off there? We've talked about this in the past. Hopkins showed no signs of diminishing last year, um, in the games that he played However, we do know that the cliff just kind of happens. We don't always get a leading indicator that, whoa, the tires are about to fall off. It's like, oh, things are great. And all of a sudden (laughs) you're broke down on the side of the highway. You don't know for sure what's going to happen. Nuke will be 31 years old this upcoming season. So he's definitely in that range. So you don't want to give up a lot, but it may not be Hopkins, right? It's just going to be interesting to see what they want to do here because it sounds like they're going to move on from Schultz unless they really get a deal they like, but yet they're wanting to make a splash as far as either with a free agent or with a trade. It's just, I don't know. It's kind of weird to me. Um, but it does sound like something that could be a possibility. And you know what Jerry, like he does look across the league and see what other teams have done. And I think he looks at the dolphins last year and he sees, wow, they just went and added Tyree kill. Look how much better their offense got like, well, Jerry, like you trade away Amari Cooper <laughs> you know, last season. I mean, come on. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they do stylistically. I think it would be nice. And this is so hard because we talk about this all the time. Every team, it seems like needs someone that can take the top off of a defense. Mm -hmm. Cowboys don't really have that right now. You know, Gallup is a contested catch down the field guy has not really shown us so far. Now he was playing, you know, coming off of a major knee injury last year. He actually had to have that cleaned up after the season. So, but he's not a, I'm going to beat you over the top, catch it in the basket and just be gone. He's like, okay, Target me 30 yards down the field, I'll make a contested catch. He's almost more like a Mike Williams, but he's smaller. Um, So, I mean, he can do some nice things, but they don't have a true player that everyone has to just be like, whoa, this guy could just beat us for a touchdown on this play. Lamb operates more inside. He's more that intermediate guy, like his average depth of target over his first three years has been right around 10 yards. So receivers typically own their average depth of target. So that's probably what CD is. And that's not a bad thing. He's your yak guy. He's the guy that's going to give you yards after the catch. You try to get him into mismatches and you need someone else that can really stretch things on the outside. So Hopkins isn't necessarily that, but he could still be a fit. So I am interested to see if they're thinking of someone that has more speed. However, easier said than done, because teams don't really want to let those assets go, especially if they're any good. It
0: almost feels like this would have to be something when you talk about speed and getting those those lid lifters, something you'd have to target in the draft just because I don't see them out there in the free agent market. You mentioned that's not DeAndre Hopkins game at this point in his career. Um, again, we, we keep saying DJ Chark. If you want to get in a bidding war for him, I guess he's potentially that guy. But otherwise, it, it just feels like if that's the need, that's something you target draft wise. And we'll see if that's something Jerry wants to do. Last one here. Khalil Herbert looks like he's set up to be the number one running back in Chicago, David Montgomery, likely moving on to somewhere else. But according to Matt Eberflus likes him as an explosive player needs more work in the passing game. Dwayne Herbert feels like another one of those guys that that as fantasy folks, especially those who draft early, are going to really push up when it comes to ADP. Um, how much though is dependent on whether or not the the Bears move Justin Fields, or does that matter to him?
1: Yeah, and it sounds more and more like you know the Bears are just going to trade out of the first pick. Um, what, with Khalil Herbert, the big thing is, do they draft another back? It does sound like David Montgomery. That was something else that Matthew, you know, had in his column. It sounds like he's going to be moving on. The team's not going to try to resign him. So that's going to get a lot of people excited, even more excited than they are right now with Khalil Herbert. Um, probably, you know, his ADP right now is a little bit under, you know, where it would be if we knew for sure they weren't going to draft someone else, but this is where it gets really risky with this type of player because he was only a round six draft pick. And it was actually made by the coaching staff before, you know, this one, you know, so they're not necessarily, you know, tied to Khalil Herbert. Now he looked really good, but again, sounds like there's a hole in his game. They have concerns about what he can do on passing downs. So it could still end up being a committee, or he could just get leapfrogged because it's a really deep draft class. As much as they like to run the ball, Marcus, you have to think they're going to take one. Mm -hmm. They're going to take, or they're going to sign somebody in free agency. The bears are prime candidates. They've got plenty of money in free agency. They're going to have the draft capital this year. If they want to do it, they could go after a running back. But as deep as the class is, like I could so see them, you know, drafting someone in the third round. Right. You could see that happen very easily for them. And it could be a back that honestly could really, you know, potentially work ahead of Khalil Herbert. So I think it's still a TBD here. Um, It doesn't have to be a first round draft pick to derail Khalil Herbert. It could just be a third rounder that either creates that committee or outright takes the job. So I'm going to revise my original statement and say that Khalil Herbert
0: looks like he's going to be the Bears running back one for now. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see what happens through free agency in the draft and whether or not this is still a valid statement
1: when we get to. And right now he's RB 32. I think that's Mm -hmm. fine. You know, you're getting him um, at pick 101 ADP. You know, if you want to take some swings on him and and here's why. If they don't draft a running back, he's going up from there, Mm -hmm. right? If they do draft one. I don't know that he's going to go down from there because there's enough, I think there are enough truthers out there around Khalil Herbert. And there are some good reasons for it. Like he's been a very explosive player. Like he's graded out well, as far as his PFF rush grade, but I think you'll have plenty of analysts in the community still talking about the talent profile for Khalil Herbert, despite having that sixth round capital. So if you want to draft him, I think that you could make an argument that now's the time to gain your exposure because if they draft someone, He's probably not going to fall unless it's like they take, you know, somebody in the first round, obviously, but they're not doing that. They're not going to take I don't think they're taking a a running back even after they trade down in the first round. Um, But you could also make an argument that even if they draft a third rounder he's probably not going to get cheaper. So it's probably a good time to draft him um, just based on that scenario. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. You're right. The, the Bears, there's, I think there's zero
0: chance they take one in the first round. Even if they trade out, you're not taking one, you know, in the top 10 or top 12 picks. I just don't see that happening. Yeah. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it's a day two thing for Chicago. We'll see and how that impacts Khalil Herbert's ADP from there on you want the rest of them, go check it out over at NBC Sports Edge. It's Matthew Barry's 23 most interesting things he heard at the NFL Combine. Plenty of good stuff in there. Uh, It's definitely worth your time. Also worth your time, a trip to fantasylife.com. If you haven't already, sign up for the newsletter, and you can get Matthew Barry's name in your inbox each and every day. Plenty of good stuff in there as well beefy show it's not the only one we have this week we'll be back with you in a couple more days we'll have plenty more to talk about as we creep ever closer to the start of free agency and the draft so we will wrap this one up right here we appreciate you hanging out with us as we always do for Dwayne, i am marcus this has been the fantasy life podcast enjoy your week everybody and we'll talk to you real soon